the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron and Ewan Levick. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. This episode we'll be chatting with Alan Rankins and Brett Barton from Goal Group who are back once again to talk about the Defence Ready seminars and developments within their business and defence industry. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, Grant. And as ever, with me once again recording is Ewan Levick, Group Editor at ADM Group. Ewan, how are you doing? Good, Grant. Excellent. Okay, well, to kick things off, let's get right to the action. So for Alan and Brett, we last had you on about a year ago, way back in episode 15, to discuss Goal Group and the Defence Ready seminars that you'd produced. For those who haven't heard that episode or forgotten it because it was so long ago, can you please give us a super quick summary of Goal Group and who you both are? Yeah, maybe I'll start, Grant. Thanks. It's, it's great to be back. We've actually grown a lot in the last year and we've, we've worked on some really cool initiatives, uh, impactful to defence and impactful to SMEs, which, you know, if I had to summarize up the Goal Group, that would be it. You know, that's our focus. That's our market. And we're trying to make, you know, impactful contributions in that area. We run a complementary collaborative model, which is a little bit unique, and it reflects the group element of Goal Group. So we've got about 20 tier one partner companies, SME companies that, you know, traditionally on their own, they struggle to get into defense and, and provide contributions that are really important to, you know, to, towards supporting uh, the whole defense sector. But if we pull them together and work with some of the knowledge and experiences that we have within Goal Group, we're able to really, I, I think, provide a, a cohesive value offering. And we've done that across several different initiatives, that we, which we'll touch on today. So, yeah, really proud of that. We're up to approximately 50 different individuals delivering professional services. And we also picked up a, another business, which we'll briefly touch on, which is called Guardware Australia, which is providing really globally unique cyber products, that, which supports SMEs and supports a resilient supply chain. So some really cool initiatives. Alan, Brett, I think it's been about a year uh, since episode 15. Uh, what's changed at Goal Group since then? What, what's developed? What's grown? The key areas of uh, sort of change in the last year have been probably the, the establishment of our executive team, which was you know, part of it. And these are all the challenges of SMEs as they're growing. Uh, so we put in a really strong uh, executive team. And it's a diversified team as well. And we've established a diversified board. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, diversification, where that fits inside the goal group. Okay. So is this things like, um, you know, I, I hear that there's been some big growth in export control and security areas. Is, uh, are you able to talk on that? Yeah, certainly. We've got lots of different initiatives. I'll mention a few and then Alan will certainly uh, have a couple. Export controls, you know, that's an area of complexity and regulation and governance that SMEs and primes need to work really well together to ensure that, you know, the, the proper approaches to managing information and product in the defense sector is done effectively and securely. And there's a lot of unknowns around that space. We put together a team of half a dozen really strong professionals that are already in uh, very much centered, export control centered groups within defense. And we're also supporting businesses individually. We provide training and support around the day-to-day issues that they're dealing with. So we're making really strong contributions. On the 
regard where Australia side, we've also got products that are very specifically targeted towards ITARs, which is the International Traffic and Arms Regulation, which are very complex about managing information, who gets access to that information within the defense sector. And we've got new products that we're developing that are specifically there to support governance. You mentioned some day-to-day issues that companies are coming to you with. What are examples of some of those issues that you're helping companies overcome? The issues that a company might, especially an SME company that you know they might experience in the export control and ITAR realm would be, you know, they're constantly in a growth state. So they're bringing in new people into their organization. If they're supporting, let's say, a defense prime, they will, the defense prime themselves will have approval and there's different approval mechanisms uh, with lots of different acronyms. But effectively, it's an approval to allow individuals and businesses to get access to that information. That still requires a level of governance, which means oversight about around the rules are actually being followed. And that's quite difficult. So it's difficult for a prime to know what's going on in a distributed supply chain, uh, which now uh, nowadays is global. But, you know, things are constantly in change. So what we've got is actually ways of keeping an eye on who is accessing the data inside the supply chain at the SMA level. And that also provides the owners of the business who probably put down reasonable regulation within their own business, but gives them an ability to see what's happening as well and then take the necessary action. All of that is reduced is by reducing risk and also, I think, providing a level of transparency, which builds trust between the primes and the SMEs. Alan, do you want to jump in on some of the areas you're working with that have been over the last year or so? Yeah, thanks, Grant. Um, just uh, I, I thought I'd pass on that uh, in Ju- July this year, I, I hit the 50-year mark of defence involvement. And as the previous president of Aiden, I, I don't feel I need a massive introduction to the defence industry. But um, basically, what I do with Goal is more along the maritime. I, I lead the BD efforts still, but I do more in maritime programs, which is what I've been involved with for 50 years. And um, we're still very active in that area. We, we operate a number of consultants across the maritime domain, plus we're running a number of engineering studies for a specific program at the moment and a transition um, effort to assist with maritime capability. So there's, there's quite a few initiatives running uh, across maritime uh, and we're quite close with a large number of the, the, the maritime players, of course. And, and our Goal group, um, when uh, I started Goal uh, 16 years ago, I had two dreams. One was with Goal and one was with Goal Group. And I can truthfully say today that both of those dreams have come to fruition and, and are growing strongly, which was the collaboration effort, which we'll talk about a bit later with the ISO standard, and also the growth in the consulting arm of Goal. The other part that I'm quite proud of in terms of the initiatives is the Defence Ready series, and we'll talk about that specifically, but uh, we're also adding another module to Defence Ready, which is supply chain and AIC, very topical. We've been very lucky to get some experts in in as part of our very senior management team, and uh, we've combined that with our knowledge, uh, my knowledge of AIC particularly, and we've developed a what we think is a, an excellent additional seminar to the series for AIC. So there's a lot happening. Uh, it's very, very busy. 
not allowed. I'm, I'm chairman now, and I'm trying to move sideways, but nobody's allowing me to just yet. Well, the uh, maritime is certainly uh, a busy sector in defence at the moment, that's for sure. So you, you did just mention there about AIC and so on, and uh, we have a, a, a question that we love to throw at people in Australian defence and industry. <laughs> and how would you define sovereign capability for the Australian context? It's a very, very interesting question, and uh, I've worked on that. I actually was part of the policy, the original 2016 policy group uh, that, that introduced that terminology into the white papers and so on. Uh, I don't claim the fame to the, to the, the terminology, but um, interestingly enough, I would say that it has nuances. Uh, like all things, uh, sovereignty is, depends on in which area you're talking about. There are things that are very, very important for Australia to do and do well. There's the, the, the issues of supply chain have really been brought starkly to the front in relation to the pandemic, but also the Ukraine and so on. Um, so basically, we need to be able to be self-sufficient and reduce the supply chain delays in a large number of things. And it's not just defence, but in defence itself, it's certainly the dependence on a lot of uh, overseas suppliers for the sustainment of our capability, as opposed to the acquisition of our capability. Um, we have learned um, over the many years uh, that I've been involved in defence that not everything is sensible to be made in Australia. There, there is a whole pile of production and engineering capability to build aircraft, uh, you know, make the best uh, submarines potentially, that that so design I'm talking about not build so much there, but um, so there are areas of expertise across the globe that we need to tap into, working with our allies, and that is sensible. But what is not sensible is to go to uh, as an example, go to Germany to buy a flange for a particular type of ship when that flange is made in a in a foundry two miles up the road. That is not sensible. Brett, did you want to expand on that? Well, I don't know if I could expand on that, but I certainly have have my own view. You know, I've worked across uh, three different defence forces, uh, Canada, US and Australia for a long time. And, you know, sovereign capability to me means it has two fundamental attributes. One is motivation, and the second is an ability to execute. And that is highly relevant and visible around what's going on in the last you know, two years. So sovereign means that, you know, when I have a series of priorities and it's priorities even within my own business, and I have to decide where I'm going to put my workforce and where I'm willing to accept business risk, um, I need to be motivated to put it into a certain camp. And my first alliance or allegiance will be to the country in which I reside, my family reside, my friends reside. Those are deep ties. And that needs to be Australia if Australia wants to be the top priority. And when do you need to be a top priority? Well, you need to be a top priority when defense is truly needed. And that's in times of conflict or even times when you're trying to support natural disasters like we've seen many of uh, around the country now, and that seems to be the likely way of the future. So you have to have that. But it's not good just to be motivated. 
you also have to have an ability to execute and do it. And that's where investment and planning come in. And that's where the defense strategic approach is important. And that means you have to have an outlook downstream. So asking an SME to support a capability when you need it, and they haven't had the prior five or 10 years of upskilling and development and foundation building to be able to execute will mean nothing. I can be motivated with no ability to execute, and I'm really no further ahead in terms of capability. Brett, in your experience across three countries, US, Canada, and Australia, how do you compare policies that are aimed to develop sovereign capability and their success? Yeah, right, Ewan. That's a, it's a great question. Canada and Australia are very similar in many ways. Uh, culturally, uh, in many, it, actually, Australia is, the defense in Australia is, is better supported, in my opinion, than in Canada. Very challenging being a business working in Canada, uh, supporting defense. But with the way it shifts, it's very tied to who's in power in government. And the public supports defense and the defense sector very well in, in Australia. The U.S., it's crazy support. So when I, and I've lived in California and Florida and worked in Air Force and Navy sides of things, and it's incredibly well supported. So they also have a lot of programs in the U.S. that are built around sustaining and supporting innovation. They do spiral support initiatives. They, don't, they fund it from the early stages um, they transfer risk off the groups that can't really manage the risk instead of putting it on them. Uh, there's some leniency in terms of, I think, expectation and governance as well, which is really important. So there's a lot going on in Australia, and there are a lot of programs out there in supporting, and it is getting better. Just to add a little bit about policy, policy, in my view, is, has never been the main cause of the failure uh, of something. Uh, the policy tends to end up being pretty well written, and you could argue the nuances of the policy, but most of the failure is in execution. Okay, so it's when the policy is actually executed and it's not executed in the way that people expected that the policy would be executed, whether they're a recipient at the other end or whether they're the policy maker, then that's where it breaks down. And it, it, in my experience over the, the years that I was involved with Aiden, but also with Goal, that's been the predominant issue um, for SMEs is that the execution has not demonstrated to them that the policy is achieving what they thought it was going to achieve. Alan, is a policy that can't be executed properly just a bad policy? Well, that's an argument about the people who are executing. They're saying it can't be executed properly. But <laughs> in most parts, if you think about the um, the execution of the policy, and I'll use that example of the flange again. I mean, the policy is that you will try to Australianise the supply chain. Uh, it, it's not a policy that could not be executed. The foundry was two miles up the road. I mean, it's a policy that was not executed because... People were either too busy, and that's fair, uh, or they were not that interested in executing the policy. Um, so, And it goes all the way down and across the supply chain. I'm not saying that there aren't a large number of people who are interested in execution. I'm simply saying that it needs to be constantly monitored that people are consistently executing because you'll see that across various programs. Certain of the programs that have been... Um, 
executed over the many years I've been involved with them have been significant in their Australian industry development. I'll use Mindhunter because it's local to where I live. Uh, Mindhunter program was probably one of the most successful Australian programs. It built Italian-based and designed Mindhunters in Australia. Okay, it created an industry we still call in Newcastle the Mindhunter Mafia because it is uh, it's spread across numerous companies. Gold was one of them. Um, there's another like Blue Zone Group and there's many others that have had their uh, genesis out of the Mindhunter program and have gone on to be very successful pro- uh, uh, companies um, from that program. In Australia, they are supporting, sustaining, manufacturing components and uh, systems in Mindhunter. There are a number of other programs that uh, still do that. Um, Bushmaster is another one, very successful um, in terms of the Australian industry component. So you can you can see that if the in- execution is done correctly, you grow significant amount of Australian industry out of it, which assists sustainability. Well, moving away from sovereign and uh, policy and execution and so on, let's come back to something we touched on just before, which was the Defence Ready Seminars. Uh, of course, we were talking a lot about them on the original episode we had you on, but uh, I understand things, uh, they've gone pretty well, they've got great reviews, and it's time to expand uh, more than just the, the new seminar. I believe you're, you're taking them national. Yeah, it, it's a great success story, and it's... Uh, collaborative. It's allowed us to work with some really great people, uh, organizations like Otis and Aiden and Hunter Defense and SMEs, uh, mostly in the Hunter region initially, because those were the two initiatives funded uh, by Melissa Price. And so just the support around being able to train up SMEs and, get, and reach out and touch SMEs, you know, and enable them to work and position themselves better for defense. So over those two series, we actually communicated and and provided guidance to over 140 different businesses across the stream. So for, for people that aren't aware, one series, one Defense Ready series has over 56 webinars alone, plus a whole bunch of other sorts of learning. And uh, the topics that we cover are things like how to position your business to do uh, successful work within the defense sector, how to market your business properly in the defense sector, how to bid on some of those more complex types of opportunities that they see, how to actually get access to the different panels, um, how to work with a prime, how to sit down and interview with a prime, how to manage the legalities, you know, little things like liabilities and IP rights and how do you get into a discussion around a header contract with a prime, which is incredibly challenging? And SMEs coming from different sectors just don't know this type of information. So we've got professionals uh, that, that instruct and teach on this stuff globally and internationally, and we're bringing it into the Australian market, really um, providing some great value. So the next step, though, is how do we take something that's really worked well in the Hunter region, uh, reaching down to Sydney and a little bit farther north, but move that out nationally? And we're working with Aiden, and we're also going to go through a SADI funding, so it's a full-funded project. There's expressions of interest on the ground right now. So if you go to the Gold Group website or if you go to uh, contact your Aiden representatives, they'll show you how you can register your business for the expression of interest. So there's not a commitment, but it's just saying, hey, we're interested, 
And ultimately, we're looking at rolling out this type of series nationally. And it's it's not just for you know, people who are already thinking defense. I mean, this could be uh, shoe companies. This could be clothing manufacturers. It could be anyone. That's exactly right. You know, some of the... You're wondering about what the prize is. There's over $280 billion being spent in the next decade. And a significant yearly portion of that just goes to keeping the that micro economy of defense running. So, you know, if you cut lawns, if you lay pavement, if you, you know, work in plumbing or, you know, <laughs> shoes and retail. Absolutely. There are so many different opportunities. People always think about the shiny things, you know, the submarines and the aircraft. And there's no question, you know, I love all that stuff too. But from a business perspective and an SME perspective and a sovereign capability perspective, you know, there's so much opportunity. But it starts with awareness and then just an understanding of how do I move my business from maybe oil and gas mining, transport, or just commercial retail? How do I move it into the sector? How do I diversify and stay profitable? And how do I manage some of the risk in the unknowns? Because, you know, it's, it's a brand new area for a lot of these companies. Uh, I might just ask a question that I think is close to both Gold Group and to ADM Group, which is... Um, the mission to increase the number of women in defence and defence industry. We at ADM Group have our Women in Defence Awards coming up, um, but I understand you're also introducing some initiatives to uh, improve uh, the percentage of women in this sector. Is that correct? Yeah, yes, Ewan. Uh, so this is interesting. The goal group, you know, I'm really proud of this fact. We are almost a 50-50 diversified company, and that starts right at the board, down to the executive, down to the employees. And it's part of our strategic intent because I know how much of an advantage it is, uh, both from a cultural perspective and just uh, the cohesiveness of, of the, the business itself, but also in the diversified way of new thoughts and idea generation and ability to go out there and grow the business. So it's a winning combination. But the key is you actually have to do it. It has to be active diversification, which means you know, if I'm sitting around talking to a diversified group and I force them all to think the way I think, that kills diversification. So that's what I mean. So it's understanding the value there. Um, on the 8th of March, we had an International Women's Day and uh, one of our executives, uh, Effie Panchis, she organized a really great day for, you know, the employees and they invited me to sit in on it at the, at the sort of summary of the day. And they were talking about uh, The Psychology of Successful Women, which is a book written by uh, Shona Rowan, who's an international coach and she's Australian-based. And uh, it was a wonderful discussion. At the end of it, they were saying, I said, you know, this is great. I'm glad you guys have sat down for the day, but, you know, what are you going to do with this? Where are you moving it? Because if you're not actually doing anything, it just turns into one of those, yeah, we'll see you next March 8th. Um, so... Effie, who's uh, very proactive, uh, gave Shona a ring and said, hey, love your book. Uh, we've distributed, we bought copies, distributed around the company. Um, we really want to do something. What can we do? And from that phone call and that discussion, a couple of lunches later, uh, we've initiated a career and success uh, acceleration program for women in defense. And we've then used our contacts inside defense, uh, of which we we do all right in that area. And we brought this idea to them, as well as Primes. And 
you know, without fail, everyone is interested. So it's a really common theme. It's got some great elements. The program just works with building women's confidence and all the elements of the book. And Shonen is uh, going to be a significant part of that. And we're facilitating moving it in. So, yeah, really happy with that program. So moving on from women in defence, something that defence is all about, of course, is accreditation to ISO certification. And I understand uh, Gold Group's got something going there. Uh, Alan, you were indicating that we're going to talk ISO, so now's the chance. Thank you. Um, Yes, ISO is normally a subject that most of us sort of, the eyelids get very heavy, and (laughs) but uh, we are very fortunate to have uh, Michael McLean in our group, who's uh, been a guru in ISO uh, around the world on a lot of the committees. He uh, represents AIG and drives our ISO seminars for Defence Ready as well. Um, with him um, and also with EFI, uh, we've we've driven the uh, natural uh, talent in gold for collaboration uh, to towards achievement of the collaboration standard, uh, 44001. And uh, we're very, very close to doing that. And part of the, uh, the really good feeling we have from that is that there are very few companies that have achieved that standard globally, let alone in Australia. Um, and we have uh, with us um, also uh, the company that actually achieved um, that standard, helped that uh, DMTC achieve that standard as well. So um, we're very excited about Um, walking the walk as well as uh, talking the talk in terms of collaboration and we'll be very proud to put that collaboration uh, logo up on our website in the not too distant future. Um, Coupled with that of course is that we've grown uh, in our uh, defence industrial security program efforts. Uh, We're very uh, we're um, going up the levels in uh, the DISP program so um, Part of that is to ensure that we achieve um, the the necessary standards that uh, the DISC program requires. Uh, one of which, um, which we chose ISO twenty seven thousand and one, as the standard uh, that we would uh, comply with, as opposed to some of the others that are allowed under the DISC. Um, and we're a good sixty percent through, I think, uh, in being able to say we're compliant with that and will achieve that standard, we hope, before the end of the year. Uh, but basically, um, again, we're walking the walk. So one of the big issues for SMEs in, uh, in DISP, the Defence Industrial Security Program, is understanding how to do that. We pride ourselves with being an SME collaborative group, but also helping SMEs through Defence Ready and other, other avenues. Um, so the best way that we thought we could do that is to achieve the standard and walk the walk. Um, and so we know the pitfalls, rabbit holes and uh, fences along the way. And I've got all the bark off my shins and, and so on uh, and all the broken ankles from all of that. But it's, it's good that I could talk with a little bit of authority from an SME perspective. The great thing that I would put on that is that we, we don't want an ISO um, badge on our website or on the wall simply to say we've got it. We said that with 9001 and we're, we're not going to say it for the others as well. We're going to be active in achieving what the standard requires us to achieve so that then we can actually um, tell the, the rest of the industry we're helping what an SME has to do to do that. 
taking us back to something that Brett mentioned way up at the start, and I think this will be our last our last topic for the for the discussion. Guardware products. Brett, you said they were very cool products, uh, defense, uh, security, and so on. Can you tell us about guardware? The the best way to talk about guardware is not to talk about guardware, but let me talk, <laughs> let, me, let, let me talk about uh, some practical um, situations where it's used. So I was in discussions earlier this week, uh, and there's a really great company in Australia uh, that's been developing IP and techniques of converting energy effectively. Um, and it has huge benefits to developing nations and, and all sorts of different sectors. Uh, and they've got a project where they're using, taking this IP and starting to, starting to initiate some really unique programs in countries around the APAC. And one of the challenges that they're having as they're sort of getting this stuff set up is we need to provide our IP and our approaches to these areas because they all need to be able to develop the local capability as well, which means schematics, drawings, diagrams, information, uh, files of different types to run machines. All of that is as heavy uh, investment and is IP that this business owns within Australia. That then sparks a chain of fear and uh, around how do I provide IP like that to these nations and still control it, still know what's going on with it so that it doesn't get taken and effectively devalue my IP and really cause me future challenges. And these are common fears that go throughout every industry that creates. And in the defense sector, that's everywhere. And then if you're in a situation where you need to distribute IP and knowledge and information and know-how, to the community, to the SME community, to the supply chain, to execute that fear and that risk profile goes up. The guardware products are specifically designed around removing those risks and unlocking that supply chain by providing a mechanism of seeing what's going on with your IP as it's being distributed, giving you the ability to still control that IP when it's situated in a business anywhere around the world. And once you take it to that level, you then have, a, have something we really term verifiable trust, but it's a new way of unlocking that ability to share and distribute data and information. So that's what we're talking about. The three products are Guardware, Intel, Protect, and Oversight. Two of the products are already in the uh, DIH grant scheme, uh, and we put them in as a submission, and we're in the process of hopefully getting those through the final levels of development. Uh, one, the uh, Guardware Intel is being used with quite significant groups uh, like Scotland Yard and, and other areas and been around for, for a while, has uh, very significant value. So that'll be quite impactful, and, and in my mind, you know, it'll unlock the supply chain in terms of the ability to move information and data around. So to enable suppliers and that whole thing we talked about around, you know, sovereign capability, uh, you remove the fear of sharing and, you know, you can really make some impactful change. So it's, it's helping to ensure that your product, your, your IP files and so on 
uh, helping to lock down who can actually use them, how long for, whereabouts, things like that. Uh, absolutely correct. So it does all that. And this is globally unique. So, you know, there's a lot of systems out there where what they do is they build uh, a fortress around the business. So that's sort of like enterprise solutions, right? So keep the bad guys out and you're safe. What this technology does is it augments those, but it focuses on the data itself, the files itself. Um, so, and it protects, protects them in very unique ways. And it uses uh, fairly modern encryption approaches and techniques that we've learned over the, probably over the last decade to manage that encryption around really significant files of different sizes and different types. And that's quite complex to do. But not just that, if I gave you a CAD drawing and then you took that CAD drawing that was encrypted and then took out pieces of that CAD drawing and maybe moved it to a USB stick or a thumb drive or wrote a separate document, that encryption would follow that data as it changed and morphed throughout the supply chain and grew. And then as it gets archived and saved in all different places, we still have the ability to know where it is. But more importantly, we have the ability to reach in and shut down access to it. So a good example would be this submarine program uh, that got did a pivot and a lot of information was floating around the defense sector uh, as part of the sovereign capability and the AIC initiatives. When the program gets turned down, clearly the data needs to be um, given back. And that process is nearly impossible under today's technologies. And that's uh, what we could be able to do is with a button push effectively stop all access to all of that distributed data especially the distributed data that you don't even know where it is. Maybe the, <laughs> la maybe the last point is uh, this comes down to how you protect your assets. You know, if you knew that your data in the defense sector, we are targeted, heavily targeted, and SMEs are heavily targeted. That drives the DISP and all the cyber requirements. If someone breaches your systems and gets access to your data, they then have your data under the today's approach. Under our products, what we're saying is if they breach your system, your enterprise solution, and take your data or one of your own insiders, you know, takes your data or moves it to a place they shouldn't, that data remains protected. So it's a way of ensuring the protection continues even if the data is stolen. And then, um, you know, so, so that's the essence of the products. It's a it's a it's really needed and we're really hopeful to get it out to to market soon sounds fascinating so wrapping it up alan anything you'd like to say as we exit yes yeah, so just um, one point about the uh, guardware again it's another example of how we're walking the walk so that we can bring this experience sme experience into what we're offering the sme community is that we uh Guardware is a fundamental part of our ISO 27001 compliance. We're implementing it in the Gold Group, which is an interesting challenge with a diverse group of companies that are part of the Gold Group. So that will be another kind of lesson that we can actually talk with experience on. But the one thing that I did want to add towards the end um, was that um, uh, a while ago now, it seems like forever because I've been working like a Trojan since he came, we managed to reach out and uh, have a discussion with Brett and persuade him that he could help us uh, and give him the challenges that he felt he needed. 
Um, I can have to say that um, it's been a wild ride, but very successful, and it's uh, been one of the pleasures of my last couple of years in in goal to work with Brett, and what and where's Cheryl and I as the founders um, have uh, had a great deal of respect and time for what Brett's done for us. So I'd say publicly, thanks very much, Brett. Thank you, Al. Well, gentlemen, I think that's a wonderful note to uh, wrap this up on. Thank you both very much for uh, coming and joining us today. It's been a great discussion, lots of topics covered, uh, some very interesting things. But uh, thanks to you both for being with us. Thanks, man. Thanks, Rand. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, thanks, guys. Excellent. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening once again. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, you can follow this podcast in your favorite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they're released. Meanwhile, thanks for tuning in and we'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. Thanks, everyone. The ADM podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yaffa media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.